This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. Muck Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with Muck Delivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hey up, it's the No Near Never podcast, with your host, Jamie Smith. Hello, good evening and welcome to a Premier League podcast, the No Near Never podcast. Thanks as ever to our kind sponsors at Neville G for helping us to bring the show to you. My guests this evening, Kevin Robinson, James Bird and Adam Heap. Just the one game to talk about today, but there's lots and lots to go through as well. Burnley beat Ipswich Town 1-0. In front of the sky cameras at Turf Moor to go to 95 points for the season, which is an incredible achievement in anybody. Is it 95? 92 points, isn't it? That's not a very good start. Got that wrong. Well, I did that one out in post-production. But anyway, fantastic achievement all round. And any fears that we were going to ease up off the off the gas at the end of the season was clearly unfounded. I thought we were absolutely excellent. I don't know about you, James. I think that was as well as we played for most of the season. Yeah, I think it was a good performance. Ipswich were a little bit um, lacking in fight for a team that that had a lot to play for. Uh, but I think it was a lot like the game at Portman Road, to be honest, where uh, it wasn't necessarily the most exciting of games at times. But um, you know, we were really good defensively, and uh, we took took one of our chances. I mean, it's probably the only real disappointment come out of it is that uh, Danny Ings couldn't get one of his chances to go in. It is. Oh. I wouldn't say it's becoming a concern, Danny's form, is it? But it's strange to see him struggling a little bit. I mean, there's so many chances he's had, like, mainly half chances, I think, but you still get the feeling it only takes to one to go in and then they'll start going in more regularly. But, of course, it was Ings' shot that created the, the goal, the tapping for Michael Cowley, so he's clearly doing something right. Um, Kevin, what did you make of the game on Saturday? Yeah, yeah, I think I, I agree. It was it was we were we were really good, but I also thought I think I think we looked really relaxed as well, which is obviously probably a sign of um, of obviously we had nothing to play for. Oddly, I think also Ipswich looked like they had nothing to play for, which was which is quite odd considering that they they did, um, and I think that helped us. I think if we were playing somebody with who were a little bit more up for the game. We might have been a bit more alert ourselves, but I think we were allowed to be comfortable, which was which was good. I think there was a few times where um, we we tried, kind of did a few things which we might not have done earlier in the season. I think it was one point in the second half where instead of putting it across goal, we kind of I think 
can't remember who it was, but sent it right over to the edge of a box for um, for, for David Jones to have a volley at. Um, but it was quite nice to see. It was, it was nice to be able to watch a match and be allowed, you know, be allowed to do things like that where it didn't really matter what happened if we missed. It it, it didn't matter. Um, I think um, shameless name dropping here, but me and me and Jane were talking to uh, Barry Kilby before the match, and um, he was talking. You know, he was saying how usually at this point, you know, twenty minutes before the kickoff is a bag of nerves, but now today he was just, yeah, you know, gonna go and watch some football, um, and that was it. It was it was a really it was a it was a I've never I've not been to a match like that. It was a so such a strange atmosphere where I didn't care what happened at either end. Obviously, it was nice to get the goal. Um, but yeah, it was it, it was a good performance. Yeah, clang. That's the sound of that name that you just dropped. We'll we'll explain a little bit later in the show why exactly we were talking to Barry Kilby before the start of the game. But um, Adam, you've been watching the game down under, wouldn't you, on um, telly? I assume. What did you make of Burnley? It was very professional, wasn't it? The same as it's been all season. We were extremely comfortable. Yeah, I think it was solid, if unspectacular. I mean, I, I personally didn't think it was close to the best that we've played, but it, it didn't really need to be. I think they were just probably looking to get through the game without injuries, without any major incidents, and uh, it was disappointing, I think, more than anything, that Ings couldn't get through that, that shot that hit the bar right at the end, I thought was probably his best chance. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't think he'll have any problem getting back into it when they're in the Premier League next season. It is just one goal in 11 for Danny Ings, of course, the goal at Ewood Park. Why do you think it is that he's a little bit out of form? We've talked on the podcast before about it perhaps being a bit of frustration, maybe lacking a bit of confidence, but his general, his all-round play seems to be as good as ever. It's just that the chances aren't quite going in at the minute. Yeah, I think I think whenever your strike partner suddenly goes missing, you tend to get a bit disrupted. Um, I mean, uh, I've just pointed out on the uh, chat that uh, Alvaro Negredo from City hasn't scored since January, and that was because he and Aguero got split up. And uh, I wonder if Ings is maybe suffering from the same sort of thing with uh, with Vokes being out. But other than that, might just be a bit of a confidence thing. And uh, uh, yeah, I, he's clearly got the talent, and I don't think uh, it'll it'll hinder him when they get into the Premier League. It, it was really strange, wasn't it, after the goal? Uh, I, I thought he should have really scored after he came inside, but Kyle just knocked in the, the tap-in and everyone went off to celebrate and Danny Ings is now beating himself up in the, in the middle of the penalty box. Like, we've scored. It doesn't really matter who put it in. But, yeah, it's a little bit unusual. Uh, Burnley played the, the same 11 as well, which I thought was quite interesting. Not really a surprise, I suppose, but... It might have been a bit nice to to give a couple of young lads maybe their their first opportunity. I wrote a piece of the site before the weekend suggesting that it may be a good opportunity to board some youngsters, but Sean Dyche had spoken about the importance of maintaining the integrity of the league and he wanted to make sure that we go hard until the end. So I think that was understandable, but maybe a good opportunity to play some youngsters. What do you think about that, James? Were you surprised it was the same eleven? Would you like to see some young players out there? I thought we might have given a couple of couple of youngsters a, a bit of a go, but uh, you know, clearly Dash wants to get as many points as he can at the end of the season. But uh, I think it was said last season that he would have hoped to play a few youngsters if, if we didn't have something to play for. So on that, you know, with that in mind, it was a little bit of a surprise that we didn't at least see someone on the bench. What about you, Kevin? Why why do you think we decided to go with the the same the same eleven? Um, well, first of all, I think I, I, I think the, in terms of the eleven, I wasn't surprised to see the eleven stay the same. 
Um, I was a little bit surprised slash disappointed not to see some of the, uh, the younger players on the bench um, who could maybe have come on for the last kind of 20 minutes, half hour maybe. Um, but I think the reason he did go what, what he did is I think he wanted to give some of the, play, the players who kind of all played their part throughout the season, I, wanted to, I think he wanted to give them their, their kind of t- time of the side. I think especially with, with both Junior and Wallace coming on who are probably the two players who are out of the 11 who probably played more than anyone else. I think both, both them two coming on um, relatively early in the second half, um, to me anyway, looked like an indication of Daesh saying, OK, look, you've, you know, these are the players who've made the biggest contribution. This is, you know, these are the players who've played most regularly, um, albeit Wallace being out injured for that, but he has come in and big, made the big contributions, uh, you know, especially Ewood. I think he was saying, you know, this is, you know, you've made this happen. You go out here, you know, enjoy this celebration game, get your get your applause, and kind of that big, that kind of end of the season, well done, kind of thing. That's how I how I interpreted it. I think that was fair shouting. Uh, I I also wondered though if it was maybe an opportunity to take a last look at some of the players who were out of contracts in the summer. I think we we've, we've done this on on one of the podcasts in the last few weeks, but there's people like Stanislas, Tracy, Stock, Lafferty. Um, Edgar as well. I think these players were all out of contracts um, in the summer. So if Dash hasn't quite made his mind up yet, he could have given them a bit of an audition. I wondered if that's what it was with Stanislas, but he didn't really get in the game. Um, James, these the young players thing. It's it's always difficult, isn't it? But you wonder, like, if if you can't bring a young lad on for twenty minutes or so when you've already got promoted. You wonder when these players are ever going to get a chance. I mean, it's hypercritical, isn't it, because of everything we've achieved, but it seemed like a little bit of a missed opportunity to me. Yeah, I mean it's it's tough to decide to put them in because uh, obviously you don't want to be seen as putting out a weakened side. Because obviously that can have implications of other people in the week. So I think you've still got to be competitive. So uh yeah, it's a, it's a tough one. I think I'm, I'm surprised we didn't see, you know, maybe one or two on the bench, and you know, if we when we look comfortable, giving them half an hour towards the end. I think Kevin made an excellent point. I think it partly was to to give the the players that had contributed so heavily the chance to have one last game soaking up the applause. But it was quite a strange atmosphere. We'll come to that a little bit later. Um, Adam, what about you? Would you have liked to see some some debuts from the Clarets youngsters? There's some extremely promising young players in the squad. Talking about the likes of Cameron Dummigan, Jason Gilchrist, Cameron Harrison. There are some untalented players, but they're not quite getting the chances yet. Yeah, I was I was particularly hoping uh, the latter two that you mentioned there, Gilchrist and Harrison, that they might get some time, and that might still happen against Reading. Um, I mean, my personal view on it was that I thought uh, Dyche chose to play the same squad, uh, both to give the players a home send-off and also to uh, to make really more than anything just to cement Turf more as a, uh, a a hard place to come to for uh, any Premier League teams next season. So they know that we, uh, as a team, we don't slack off. But uh, but yeah, I, I really would have liked to see Grilkist and Howison given the opportunity. I think they're probably two of the uh, the most likely to break into the squad in the um, the next couple of years. But uh, but. You know, I'm, they might, I'm hoping they might get that opportunity against Reading, but then, you know, Dyche might not want to let uh, the team slack off for that last match either, exactly. And I'm sure he won't want that. He'll want them to uh, play as hard against them as he would against everyone to make it fair for the league. But uh, but you never know. There is a slightly interesting subplot that I think we mentioned briefly last week in that Reading are one of the teams in the top six at the minute and Blackburn Rovers have a small chance of catching them. So if we were to lose to Reading, that would um, 
not help Blackburn's chance of getting in the top six. I'm sure that won't come into the thinking of the players or the manager or any of the staff at all, but maybe something for the fans to bear in mind for the weekend. I think Blackburn needs to win and hope Reading and or Wigan lose and have quite a big swing in goal difference as well. So lots of ifs and buts need to happen um, there. Ipswich, I, I was really surprised by Ipswich because... I thought they were going to be a lot better than they were. I'd heard a lot about Cresswell, the left-back, who's in the, the PFA team of the year, which we'll, we'll do a little bit later in the show, but they didn't really cause us problems at all. I, I think it's probably a, another sign of how dominant we've been all season. That, that was a, a third win in a row with no goals conceded, and the opposition didn't really have that clear a chance. James, what did you make of Ipswich? They were really flat, weren't they? It was unusual for a team that still had a chance of getting in the top six on Saturday. Yeah, it was really bizarre, you know, especially when they, they come to a side that have just staggered over the line to be runners up for the league. Um, but I think uh, the the quote from McCarthy in midweek is even stranger when you then look at how they performed when he said that he doesn't know anyone who gets to the top of Everest and then carries on climbing. Because um, his side came out and didn't even look like they'd fancy getting past base camp. So... Uh, <laughs> He's stretching that analogy to the max. It, it, it wasn't really, it was a really, really poor, poor performance from a side that you know could still have kept their season going. It, it seemed to me like it was almost as if we were playing after everyone else and then thought their chances were over. But I don't know if they just didn't really fancy their chances of getting there at all. It was, it was very strange. Jack's just mentioned that we were apparently being linked with Aaron Cresswell. I haven't seen anything about that, but it wouldn't surprise me because he's apparently a, a very talented young player. Um, so he might well be in the mix. We'll do Cresswell and the rest of the PFA team a little bit later in the show. Um, Kevin, was there anything in particular stood out about Ipswich for you or was it another case of us just shutting down the opposition? I think I, I touched on it earlier. I they looked like they had nothing to play for. It was, it was really. It, it, I don't think it was particularly a case of us, us stopping them playing because they didn't have any urgency or anything like that. It's not that we, it's not that they were trying to play and we were stopping them. Although obviously there was some back because we are kind of so so brilliant. But um, but yeah, they they had no urgency when they were going forward. I think a, a couple of their subs like they they half wanted to do something. But Newblay looked else. interesting, didn't he? The 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 big lad who came on and played up front. Big, big is definitely the word. Very yeah. big, he's huge. But, um, yeah, he looked like he at least half wanted to uh, to make an impression, but everyone else was just looked like they were just going through the motions and wanted to get back home to their shepherd's piper tea. <laughs> Mick McCarthy was extremely gracious after the game, wasn't he? He was talking about how uh, Burnley are going to be written off, but that shouldn't happen because we've been proving people wrong. And I'm sure he was extremely deflated after his own team performance, but... He was um, extremely complimentary to those good bloke, Mick McCarthy. And uh, it's it's interesting that he was one of the, the managers a lot of fans were clamouring for when Eddie Howe walked out. I don't know if he was ever in the, the thoughts of the board, but he was certainly in, in the running on the betting and fans were talking about him a lot online. So it was interesting to see him bring a side to the turf, but it didn't really perform at all, did they, Adam? It was a, a really strange, disjointed, flat performance from Ipswich Town. Yeah, they've been a bit poor, actually, towards this end of the season, which is strange considering you think they're pushing for promotion, but they've kind of petered out over the last couple of games. They, um, I was expecting more from them coming into a game where we potentially had nothing to play for and they and they were very, very close to uh, 
getting into the playoffs, although you know Albate probably had the one of the smaller chances of getting in compared to some of the other teams. But uh, but yeah, I think Mick McCarthy will be disappointed with it. But you know, I think he's turned that team around pretty well in the in the time that he's been there, and and I I think they'll probably they'll probably have a pretty good shot of getting him next year. I think. I agree. I always think you look at managers as much as as players and teams, and I think Mick McCarthy's got the 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 history, and he's got a couple of promotions to the Premier League. He certainly knows how to get out of the Championship, which is a very tough league, and I'd be surprised if Ipswich aren't top six or even challenging for automatic promotion. Um, one of the impressive things for me was the fact that after all the celebrations on Easter Monday, and I'm sure. The players had a good night out Easter Monday. I know they had a couple of days off. I don't think they were back in until Thursday. That they still seemed absolutely on it. There was no sort of lack of concentration. No one was slacking off. There was none of this already on the holidays. Like the, I think the game after Leicester won promotion, they got beat four-one at home by Brighton or something like that. There was nothing like that. It was absolutely professional. But James, I suppose that's, that's nothing less than we should expect from Sean Dash's team. After all, relentless is his is his favourite word. No, I mean, it's really impressive, you know, for a side that uh, they were all gone out on Monday night, probably had a, had a few drinks, and they had uh, Tuesday and Wednesday off, so they came back in on Thursday, and then, you know, putting a performance like that on Saturday, uh, you know, despite putting in very little training that week. And what about you, Kevin? How impressed were you with um, the way that the Burnley managed to put the promotion to one side and just get on with it. And then, of course, have another big celebration at the final whistle. Yeah, um, I think, I think, yeah, I think, we, I think, I think we did look, we looked relaxed, but also, like I say, completely on it. I think we, we, we only looked relaxed because I knew we had nothing to play for. If you, if you kind of did a neutral coming into this game and watching it, but you, you think, you know, we were still, we were still firing away trying to get that, that top two spot. Um, I, I think at the back, certainly Duff, Duff and Shackle were were still roaring. You know, the rest of the team, Shackle was shouting it off all throughout the match, as if it you know, you know as if it meant the world. Um, and I think that's kind of it's a real sign of, of professionalism in, in the squad, especially Dyche is obviously the it's become a bit of a cliche now, but his his one game at a time mantra, um, and obviously that carries on. I don't think I think we we mentioned it a couple of weeks ago that. I don't think Dyche would ever let his team go out and do what Leicester did um, and just kind of just completely collapse in the next game. I don't think that's what Dyche would ever let that happen. Um, and and he didn't. I, I suppose it's it's just, as I've just said, it's it's a sign of how dominant we've been all season that, that even in a, a big game like Ipswich coming to the turf and needing the points that, we just never looked like we needed to get out of first gear and just completely in control all the way. Um, Adam, we haven't had you on the podcast for a while. What what what's the main thing that has led to Burnley's promotion for you? What's what's the top reason? Uh, small squad, tight knit, a uh, bunch of players, um, great manager who knows exactly where he wants to go. Is is on track with the fans. He's on with the board. I think everyone just being on the same uh, the same piece of paper has really helped them this season. I think it's the same. We saw the same thing when Coyle got promoted. That small uh, core group of players. I mean, it's been one of the statistics that they say every time on TV is that we've got the uh, one of the smallest amounts of players using the entire football league. And I think that that, that the, the like like people have said, we've got you know we may not have the Premier League quality players, but together we've got a team who 
know each other well enough and have played for each other enough to be able to get promotion to the Premier League, which is a fantastic job. And the thing about the small squad as well, it's it's interesting compared to uh, teams like perhaps QPR who've, who've been throwing different combinations out all season and just the hope something sticks. It's the fact that we've been able to play the same team so often, which is partly partly luck, I suppose, with not getting a lot of bad injuries. Obviously, Sam Volks is out injured now and Ings and Marnie have had time out, but we have been able to play our strongest team quite often. That's obviously been a big factor as well, hasn't it? Yeah, definitely. You, um, I think, uh, uh, I, I mean, I'm all credit to the fitness coaches and uh, and all the backroom staff at the club who clearly have been doing an exceptional job in uh, in keeping the squad uh, fit and uh, and prepped and everything like that. And it's been a great effort from them as well, which is why it was so good to send them off at home as well. Um, uh, really, I think next season we might we will struggle to get away with the same sort of squad size in the Premier League. Um, I mean, admittedly, you play less games, but the intensity is just huge. And uh, and I think we'll definitely need a bigger squad next season to compete with that sort of thing. But for this season, I think it's it's been exactly what we needed. It will be interesting to see what we do about the, the size of the squad because there are a few players out of contract, so there is a chance to move some out and bring some in. But you, you'd think with playing fewer games and um, the international breaks come at the same time, but they, they tend to come after uh, two games in a week I think normally so you could make a case for not needing as many players but you're like the intensity will be such that I don't think we'll be able to play this, the same 11 all the time like we have done um, this season a few comments to go through excuse me before we move on to the next part of the show um, Rick says Bang seems to be getting a good understanding on Saturday for the first time I think he's referring to Barnes and Ings there is, is Bang the one we're going for it sounds a bit uh Wrong. Um, Alex says it was a bit of an occasion for the same 11 as well. And Roger says it's a chance for a farewell from the crowd. I think that's absolutely fair. Uh, Matty says the doom and gloom who sits behind me said on Saturday when Ings was subbed, that's it, he's off a goodbye wave. How can people be so miserable? Have you been to the turf before? That's always what happens. And Roger points out that they were letting Danny Ings have his bow. I actually noticed um, on the celebration on the pitch afterwards, Danny Ings was having a little bit of a chat with the chief executive, Lee Hu, so hopefully that was about a new contract because we'd all be delighted if that can get done as soon as possible. Um, and Rick says, people have said we've been we've just staggered over the line, but surely they mean they've just swaggered, which is uh, really fair. I think the last three games in particular, I think we've been absolutely in control. Um, so, yeah, the next thing I want us to do tonight is the, the PFA Team of the Year, which came out last night, Sunday evening, if you're not listening live, um, at the big swanky awards do, wherever it was. Um, if you haven't seen it already, there's an article on the site at the minute written by myself. Uh, three Burnley players did make it into the 11, Jason Shackle, Kieran Drippier and Danny Ings. If you haven't seen the team yet, um, from back to front, it's Kasper Schmeichel in goal, Trippier and Shackle from Burnley, Cresswell from Ipswich, Wes Morgan from Leicester in midfield, Drinkwater from Leicester, Andy Reid from Nottingham Forest, Craig Bryson and Will Hughes from Derby, and up front, Ings from Burnley and Ross McCormack from Leeds United. Um, one of the, the suggestions a few Burnley fans have made is that Tom Heaton was perhaps a little bit unlucky to miss out uh, and if you look at the, the raw data, then I think there's a case to be made there. Tom Heaton has kept the most clean sheets in the league. 
Um, but Casper Schmeichel, arguably a better player. What do you reckon about that, James? Do you think Heaton was maybe unlucky to miss out? There are three players on each side, so it's a fair balance maybe at the minute. Um, I'd say probably Cusack was the one who was unlucky to miss out. Heaton is unlucky to miss out, but I think in, in terms of how many shots he's faced, uh, it's probably less than Schmeichel, I'd imagine. Though I don't think that that data's really anywhere I can find. Um, so I think Schmeichel's probably, you know, a worthy choice. Because um, obviously clean sheets isn't just a reflection of the goalkeeper, it's a reflection of the whole defence. And uh, it's, you know, it's difficult to say whether he would have been as good in front of a, a worse defence because obviously he did get relegated last season. It's. I think the defence is a major thing. I mean... The last three games in particular, struggling to think of many saves Heaton's had to make. I think on Saturday there was one from a free kick, which was pretty good. But the defence and the midfield as well have protected the goalkeeper so well that it's been fairly rare that he's been called upon. I think that's been a major factor. Uh, Schmeichel, for me, I I think back to the the game we played at um, whatever they're calling their ground this week in October and he basically kept them in that game, made a few really good saves from one-on-ones in particular. And I think... That's obviously a, a Schmeichel trait, and I think he excelled in those. So I think it, it was probably close between Schmeichel and Heaton, but Schmeichel had the shirt in the PFA team last year, so it was probably fresh in the minds of the players. What do you make about the players, uh, the goalkeepers, Kevin, in the PFA team? Um, I think my only point really is about if we're looking at kind of things like clean sheets, it's worth taking into consideration that like you're saying like, you know, the, the team are playing in. Um, I think a good example is... Tom Heaton conceded more goals than than anybody in my whole in my whole league last season, um, and he might have stepped up his game this season. But I'm sure he hasn't gone from the worst keeper to to the best keeper in the space of a couple of months. Um, and like I said, I, I don't think anyone can really really argue with with Schmeichel. But I, yeah, I think you're just taking into consideration that it is that um, you know the team around him and. To be honest, Heaton's made some fantastic saves, but there's also been a lot of games, and I'm sure it's the same for Schmeichel, but there's been a lot of games where Heaton hasn't particularly had that much to do, um, such as being the dominance of our, both kind of the protection of our midfield and our defence. I think that's a good point, and worth noting as well on, on Tom Heaton is the fact that he did get relegated to League One last season with Bristol City, they conceded a hell of a lot of goals, and he's now a Premier League player, so a big turnaround for Bristol. Tom Heaton. Bristol conceded nine more goals than than anybody else in the league last season, um, 84. So it's a really good piece of business, really, for the club to see the potential there in Heaton when presumably other teams look to how many goals he conceded and see that he was such a good goalkeeper. It's Communication, for me, is absolutely vital with Heaton. We've, we've had some goalkeepers in the past, and I know James is a big fan of, of Lee Grant, but I don't think his communication was great at times. It was... A few, uh, nothing outstanding leaping to mind, but he didn't seem as as comfortable talking to his defenders as, as Tom Heaton. And you always hear Tom Heaton when the when the the ground's a bit quiet, like it was on Saturday. Actually, you can always hear him shouting at his defenders, making sure they're always in the right position. Um, maybe one more who was unlucky, um, Adam. I'm not sure if you had a chance to look through yet, but. Maybe Dean Marnie could have got in there as well. I think it's quite a strong pick of midfielders. They've gone for Hughes and Bryson from Derby, Andy Reid from Forest and Drinkwater from Leicester City. But Dean Marnie probably the outstanding midfielder for us. Do you think he's maybe a little bit unlucky not to get in there? 
Yeah, he's probably one of the one of the contenders who was pretty close. Um, uh, I mean, really, there's always a lot of hype whenever anyone's talking about Will Hughes. I think maybe it's just his hair because seems to stand out whenever he's on the TV for <laughs> me. But uh, uh, I mean, he, he seems to carry a lot of that media attention around with him as a potential big player, and so and I guess it's not surprising to see him in the squad. And he has been good, you know. There's no denying he's, he's got a lot of quality. Um, I, th- I think the reason Marty's missed out is mostly because he's been solid without being flashy. You know, he uh, he's just put in performances when we've needed them, and uh, and and that maybe doesn't get noticed a lot of the time. But uh, especially as part of the whole, a reason why maybe a lot of the Burnley players have missed out that who might have been more deserving because it's been a very team oriented thing rather than individuals standing out as as spectacular, which is probably why Marty's not maybe got the nod. That's fair, but I think Danny Drinkwater at Leicester's fairly similar sort of player to Marnie. He's quite unsure. Um, I was looking at, at some of his statistics for the season and he's scored three and made three, I think, this season. So obviously he's not really a creative player, Drinkwater, but Marnie's figures probably match up with those, if, if not even better. So similar sorts of players and Drinkwater got the knob. So Marnie may be a little bit unlucky. Do need to point out that there are three Burnley players in this team. And if you start making cases for Heaton and Marnie, then suddenly you've got half the team being Burnley players. And it will probably be a little bit unfair on Leicester if, if they had fewer players than us, considering they've been a, a better team than us this season. So, um, yeah, that's worth pointing out as well. Um, maybe up front as well, would there be a case for, for Sam Volks to get in there? I mean, the two strikers that they've picked, you can't really argue against. Ross McCormack... Uh, by far and away, the division's top scorer. I think he's got 27 already and a very poor Leeds United side as well, as worth pointing out. Uh, Jordan Rhodes as well, he's got 23 for a pretty average team in Blackburn Rovers and Troy Deeney as well. A lot of goals for a sort of mid-table side in Watford. But Sam Volks played a, a massive role in our promotion, didn't he, Kevin? Even though he's been injured for the last few weeks, Volks and Ings as a strike force, easily the best in the league. Easily, yeah. Sorry, I was I was speaking with my microphone on mute there. Um, um, yeah, in- incredible. Um, I think certainly, I think what's been most kind of enjoyable to watch them two though is is the way they've played together, um, and it's perhaps striking as well how 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 different um, Danny Ings has been since since losing Vokes. Um, I'm sure there's a, a number of reasons why Ings isn't quite at his best at the moment, but I'm sure definitely you know, losing losing Forks is one of those things. Um, ideally, you'd be able, you'd be able, to, be able to put them to, you know, the two of them in there because that's, that's been the real magical thing about it. I think individually they've both been outstanding, um, but it really is the way they've played together and the way they've kind of complemented each other, which has been almost uh, magical to watch, for want of a, a more or less cheesy word. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure when the vote actually closed, but maybe if if it was quite recently and votes hasn't been there, maybe he just wasn't quite fresh in the, the minds of the players who vote. It is the players who vote for this one, so there was some typical Burnley fan conspiracy stuff going on. It was like, small club, everyone ignores us. It's the players who pick it, so don't whinge at us, don't whinge at the newspapers. It's nothing to do with them, it's the players who pick this team. Um, I thought David Nugent was a bit unlucky as well, actually. Leicester sort of got promoted without having a really prolific... Um, goal scorer like we had 22 20 goal players McCormack's got 20 odd Rhodes has got 20 odd Vardy only ended up with 13 which I was a bit surprised with I thought he had more than that but David Nugent 16 goals and 13 assists as well and I 
put in my piece that he's maybe the classic too good for the championship but not quite good enough for the Premier League type player. Um, is that something you'd agree with, James? What do you make of David Nugent? Is he maybe a little bit unlucky to miss out? Um, I think he's goals totals heavily inflated by um, Leicester's ability to get penalties from nothing. Well, um, the penalties that Jamie Vardy won as well for him, actually. But uh, I thought David Nugent was really good for us when we were in the Premier League, so I think it's harsh to say that, you know, to, to be mean about him. I think he's a he's a player who can play in the bottom half of the Premier League. You know, he's he's good in the air, he's, he battles, he's always playing with a smile on his face. Yeah, I think he's one of those players you like to watch. Um, I found it funny when fans complained that he celebrated his goal against us. Uh, to be honest, he scored, like, what, seven since he left us against us? Scored more against us than he did for yeah. us, apparently, yeah. And it was a... A big goal in a, a key game that's won them the league. If I was a Leicester fan, I'd be more annoyed if he didn't celebrate because it'd just be disrespectful to his current side. But yeah, I, I think he's a good player, and you know he's he's deserved his his goals. So you know he has been helped by the number of penalties he's taken. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I, I always like Nugent. I always think the, the celebration thing is absolute nonsense. Whenever my team scores. I'm too busy celebrating myself to take notice of what they're doing with celebrations. So I really couldn't care and I, I don't understand why anyone would be bothered. <laughs> Adam, you watch a lot of football, don't you? A lot of championship football as well, I'm sure. Is there anyone in the team that you think maybe shouldn't be? Anyone that you would have in there instead? I, I was looking at it today and I think it's pretty much spot on. I think there's there's no real glaring emissions and there's no one that you look at it and go, huh, really? Yeah, no, I think I think everyone in there is probably pretty deserving of their spots. Um, uh, for uh, for us to be claiming that we should have any more than three is a, is a big ask. I mean, despite winning promotion, you know, it's um, I think if you overload the team with one players, then every, you know everyone comes out and starts accusing people of bias and this and that. So, but I, I'm pretty happy with the team as it was. I think McCormack's had a really good season and and uh, uh, might even be worth taking a look at for us next season, assuming that he'd fit into Daisha's plans. But uh, but if, if if Leeds are going to be staying in the championship and we, and we can offer him premiership football, you know, he might be worth looking at. McCormack is an interesting one. I'm sure in uh, future podcasts we'll do a lot more on potential transfer targets, but we'll talk a little bit about a couple of the players in the team. And McCormack is certainly one worth looking at. Leeds is going to finish in the bottom half of the table this year. They've obviously got all the off-the-field stuff going on. Um but McCormack is, I think, he can be really hit and miss. I remember he had one really good year at Cardiff a few years ago at this level, but I know he's he's had some injuries as well, but he, he's had some years where he's really not done a lot as well. He takes a lot of set pieces, penalties, free kicks, make up quite a lot of his goals, but I suppose a 27-goal-a-season player, James, you can't really turn your nose up at him. There were rumours we might be in, in for him in January, but I don't know if that was if there was anything in that. Would McCall might be the sort of player you might be interested in in the summer? Uh, to be honest, I really don't see McCormack as a Burnley player. Um, I don't know what it is, but there's all, I think everyone's got players that, um, when they think about them, they just can't imagine them playing for their team. And I think McCormack sort of fits that bill for me. Is there anyone instead, then? Uh, the ones that I I picked out as as maybe being deserving of a mention were uh, Charlie Austin, of course, ex Claret 
at QPR. Lewis Graben scored 18 goals for Bournemouth this season. Uh, Chris Martin, who despite being most remembered by Burnley fans for getting sent off for diving at Turf Moor, scored 17 goals for them. Uh, big target man, possibly a Volts replacement. Uh, players like Troy Deeney maybe at Watford. Any of them catch your eye? Yeah, I think Graben, Martin, Deeney, uh, any of those three I'd, I'd take. It's just I really can't see McCormack as a Burnley player. And to be honest, now I can't see Austin as a Burnley player again. So you know, I'd, I'd definitely really be interested in him again. I actually agree with you on McCormack. I, I can't put my finger on what it is either, but was, sometimes you just can't see it, can you? You can't picture him in a Burnley shirt, and obviously that's not a very scientific way of looking at it, but it just feels like that. And I agree on Austin as well. I think he's, he's, his general link-up play is just not good enough, and I'm not convinced that you can get away with having a penalty box striker in the Premier League. I think you need to have players who are going to give you a platform, especially when we're not going to have Sam Volts until probably after Christmas. We are going to need someone who's going to be able to win the ball against Premier League defenders. Um, Will Hughes is another that's generated a little bit of debate. Jack said on the comments of our our live chat on Mixler this evening, he says, not sure Hughes has deserved it, not done much this season. That's something I pointed out in the article as well, actually. Um, perhaps got picked on on profile rather than actual performances this season. Um, I'm not sure how much of, of Will Hughes you'll have seen, James, but do you think that's a fair assessment of Will Hughes? I think he's I think he's a really good player, Will Hughes, but he's um I don't know, he's just a he seems a bit lightweight at times for me, which is possibly to be expected from someone who's very young. Um you know he's he's a great player. I think he's gonna have a massive future. He's you know Undoubtedly, he'll play for England at some point. I think, um, you know, unless he's one of those people who starts off with a great career and then sort of vanishes, like a, a few people have in the past, like you know, sort of Francis Jeffers, etc. I think that's a good point. I mean, I agree. I'd be very surprised if he doesn't play for England. And I think it, there's just so much buzz around him. Like there's constant paper talk of such and such teams been watching him. And, because he's been playing for Derby every week pretty much since he was 16, he's played a lot already even though he's still a teenager, so one to keep an eye on. And probably one of the few players from the PFA team um, outside of Leicester players that there would just be no chance of us going in for in the summer because the the price tag would just be absolutely ridiculous. I think someone on the comments suggested Cresswell, the left-back, might be worth a look. But I think with any transfer targets, Kevin, you need to... You you really want to be bringing in players better than what you've got, don't you? But it's it it's weird as well because you start thinking the players that we've used a lot this season don't they deserve to play? I suppose you can't be too sentimental about it. They do, yeah, uh, and and they will do. I think whoever we whoever we bring in does need to improve the squad. I think I think it would almost just be. In a, in, a, in a weird way, it'd be disrespectful to the current squad not to improve the squad in, in, in a way that we want to be giving ourselves the best chance of staying up and obviously players players come into that. Um, but when you also look at it, it's it, it, certainly certainly under Daesh, it's, I think it's as much about the individual as it is the, the player. And the, you look at the, the, you know, the likes of, of Scott Arfield who've come in and... At the start of the season, we were thinking, you know, what's, what's, you know, what's he going to do? He's, he's coming to, to, you know, to make up the numbers. He'll kind of play when, 
when when Dean Miner get in, gets injured or something like that. But actually, he's going to be one of our one of our best players, one of our most important players. Um, so yeah, definitely, you know, the players we want to bring in will want want to strengthen the team. Um, but I think it's as much about the the individual, and I think so. I think the players we do sign will probably come a bit left field. I, I agree. I think it'll be on character as much as anything. I was talking to a mate in the pub about potential targets, and he made the point that we've already heard about um, things about the scouting network, and I, I can't see us going for a lot of foreign players that we've just watched on DVDs and things like that. So I think there will be left field shouts. Maybe players like Arfield have been discarded, but. Dash thinks he can improve, uh, but also I think we will try and get some Premier League experience in there somewhere. I imagine Chris Baird and Michael Kiley will be um, towards the top of the list. We have had some suggestions as well from people who are listening live to the show. Um, Paul suggests Troy Deeney, Matty Freyer and a good centre-back for starters. Uh, I'd be surprised if, if Deeney's not at least being talked about at Burnley because he's scored a lot of goals and looks like he's really developed in the last 12 months. And... Um, Watford haven't got a, a lot of money, have they? They've got big backing, but I don't think they're spending a lot, so they might be interesting. Um, sure, Rami Orby's been linked somehow, somewhere on the internet, which I think is probably massively unrealistic. Other players that I've seen linked with um, Craig Gardner and Phil Bardsley from Sunderland, both of whom are going to be on money way too much for us, so I don't know why anyone would bother reporting that. And um, Dawson, the centre-back from West Brom as well, has been mentioned. I think he'd be an interesting shout. And Roger says, Emma Hughes from Man City, he's been at Birmingham this season, he will be quite an interesting one. And Roger also said about Lewis Graben, he could be a good shout as long as everything aligns. A Sean Dash reference there. And he points out that Eddie Howe is not a bad striker spotter, so Graben could be a very interesting shout. Um, just before we do round off for the day, you mentioned... Your name dropped earlier in the show, Kevin, about um, our little meeting with the, the board at Turf Moor. We were handing over the thank you card, weren't we? Do you want to tell everyone a little bit about that for if in case they missed it on the site last week? Um, yeah, so after after promotion was was eventually finally sealed uh, against Wigan, we asked uh, we asked for the readers of the site to to send in their their their. Thank you, thank you, messages for the team. I think we we've been thinking for a couple of weeks what we could do to you know, to let the team know our, our you know of our, our gratitude. Um, I think it's, it's something we did a few a few weeks earlier as well when Sam Vos got injured. Um, we you know quite a lot of fans left their messages for Sam on the site, and he read them and was kind of quite touched by them. We were led to believe. Um, so it kind of we, we thought we'd do the same thing again. We asked fans to to send in their messages for the team, and we printed them off into a huge A two A two card. Presented that to um, to Barry Kilby, John B, and Clive Holt. Mike Garlic was supposed to be there, but he got um, he got stuck in traffic. But yeah, it was brilliant. We had kind of I can't remember how many people signed the card, but it was it was a lot. We had to go both inside covers and and on the back page as well. We had people signing it from far as likes of America, Canada, Australia, Asia, and as far and close as Burnley and the surrounding area as well. Um, yeah, it was fantastic. I think all the all the guys we presented it to on the board were, you know, were really thankful. They they seemed to be really appreciative of it. And um, thank you to everyone who signed. I'm sure the, the card will get passed down to Sean and the, and the team for them to read all your messages. Yeah, absolutely. Just reiterate. Uh... 
thanks to all of you who signed it. I think it was over 250 comments in the end, so fabulous response. And the card looked great that, that Kevin spent a long time putting together. So thanks to everyone who helped make that happen. And the board were extremely thankful, and it was good for us to go and press the flesh a little bit and have a poke around in the chairman's lounge before the game. I can see myself in there if I win the lottery, maybe a couple of times. <laughs> it looks quite fancy in there. I quite like seeing that. I did feel a little bit uncomfortable because I, <laughs> I brought the um, I brought this card in this huge Ryman bag, which had been I'd, I'd stuck together with kind of a lot of brown parcel tape to stop it getting um, soaked in the rain the night before. So I wandered into the chairman's lounge in jeans and a hoodie, with this huge scrappy um, plastic bag which just dumped down the floor. It's like making sure no one, I've been looking around, making sure no one's going to shoot me or anything. Putting on this scrappy bag with brown parcel paper and, bin, and a bit of a bin bag inside it um, I thought I thought I was going to get told off yeah that, that's why I took the picture I didn't want to be in the picture looking like a scruff so I made sure you were in the picture and took the picture we got that picture on um, all the usual social media accounts it's on Facebook and Twitter um, follow us on Twitter at no name ever net if you haven't seen it already and I'm sure we'll put it on the site at some point as well Um that's about all we've got time for today. I think James has just got one very brief story about his chairman's lounge story. No, not really. <laughs> <laughs> Happy to share it with us, but not the listeners. That's that's not very interesting. Okay, we'll move on from that. So Reading at the weekend. Um, I'm not sure if Sky have announced which games going to be on telly, but I would imagine that'll be um, up for consideration. Uh, Reading away at the weekend, Reading are fifth in the table at the minute and a good chance of getting in the top six. Pretty good side, Reading. Could be a tough game to end the season, but I suppose no one will be too disappointed if we do lose. What are you expecting from the weekend, James? A win. Yeah. Uh, I, I think we'll win again. And uh, it'll be a shame for Reading because obviously we're going we're gonna to make them miss out. Uh, it's... I can't see us not winning again. And it's going to be amazing to finish on 95 points, but even more amazing to finish on 95 points and not win the league. So um, it's going to be a little bit better way. That was bizarre. I was having a quick look through the, the last few years, and I think there's only a couple of times teams have got more than 100. And 92 would win the league quite often, and you certainly don't see teams finishing second with 92 or even more so. Really remarkable achievement, and whatever happens on Saturday, we'll have at least two points a game average, which is superb. And we'll have one of the best goal differences, we'll probably have the best defence as well. So, absolutely fabulous all season, and all credit to, to, to Burnley and Sean Dash and everyone who's made that happen. Um, what are you expecting from the weekend game, Adam? Uh, I'm expecting a 1 1 draw, to be honest. I think um, they'll put in some effort, but I think Reading will still be pushing hard. Um, as the, as you would expect of a team looking for playoffs, and uh, I think it'll probably be honours even at the end of the day. What about you, Kevin? Could it be a, a fourth straight win, fourth straight clean sheet to to end the season in style? I'm going to tell you now to go and put your life savings on Burnley one nil win. For two reasons: <laughs> my well, life savings are very very small. So <laughs> the start of today's podcast, Jamie Smith, who I know to be a time traveller. Said that we had ninety-five points. So what you know? What do you know? And also, <laughs> after the Ipswich, after the Ipswich game, um, it was only for a couple of minutes. But Burnley official t- Twitter account tweeted um, the gallery of the Burnley one Reading nil match. So um, there you go, one nil. Well, um, 
And on that bombshell, <laughs> I think we'll end the show. Um, one final note, actually, that I meant to say at the top of the show. Um, a local band from Burnley who have been kind enough to let us use their music for our little intro and outro um, jingle and one of the writers for the site as well. Their debut album is out today, I think. I haven't listened to it yet, but I recommend it anyway. The band is called Ring Ring Rouge, album's called Head Full of Fog, and the theme tune is Dr Feelgood. So um, give that a listen on Spotify and hopefully you'll like it and there'll be a big success and we'll have a good thing that we were the theme tune music, not the <laughs> show. What was saying that bumbled to an end. Thanks to everyone who's listened today. Thanks to our sponsors, Neville G. As always, we'll be back next week. Thanks to James, Kevin and Adam for joining me and everyone who's joined in on the comments as well. We'll be back next Monday, usual time. Good night. You've been listening to the No Nay Never podcast. For more, visit nonaynever.net. And don't forget, follow us on Twitter at nonaynevernet. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.